and welcome back to episode two of You Know I'm Right, the podcast. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And that's my mom and dad. If you've joined us for our first episode, you know that we are two boomers, one millennial, two parents, one child, and we are here to debate the hottest topics that are out and about and around us right now in headlines and in news and probably on your Facebook feed that everyone is out there fighting about. Today, we're talking about the student loan crisis. Dad, why don't you tell us a little bit about this? Well, you know, like I say, it's a hot topic and every political cycle, there seems to be a hot subject that's put out there to get a politician's candidate's base fired up. There seems to be nothing at this time more hot at the moment than student loan forgiveness, debt forgiveness. And I think a part of that has to do with the amount of people that owe a student debt. Mm -hmm. There are probably close to 45 million people in the U.S. right now that have a student debt. And that includes almost 20 million people that are either going to a public college or a private college. And the 25 million people that are out of college that have either graduated or dropped out. Mm -hmm. These 45 million people owe approximately 1.6, $1.7 trillion in student loans. That's an awful lot of money. That's about $45,454.54 per U.S. citizen of student loan debt. I know it's, it's a burden on the people that's trying to better themselves by getting an education. And, you know, if, if you're married and you have a couple of children, you know, it, it, it can be overwhelming. But it's also a burden on the people that made the decision not to go to school, not incur that expense if it's transferred to them by a debt forgiveness plan. Okay, so before you get too far into your opinion, let's let's take a guess. What, I th- think here we're gonna kind of talk about student loan forgiveness and whether or not it should happen. So I'm curious what position you guys think I will take and I'm gonna guess on you guys that you are against student loan forgiveness. What do you think I'll, t- I'll say? I think you're going to go for student loan forgiveness. <laughs> and I, I think you're going to lean that way also. Since you have been here in the, in the United States and had student loans and you are now in a country where you do not have to have a student loan. So you've seen both ends of the rainbow. Uh, so I, I think you're going to be more swayed to not have a cost associated with a higher education. I guess we'll see. Who wants to open the floor first? Who wants to go first? Uh, Jess, I, I, I'll go first. Um, since, since out of the three of us, I am the one that did not go to college. I, I did go to trade-related training. The people make a, a decision to go to school. I say it's a decision, it's not a choice. You know, the decision is what they do when they look at what they think they can better themselves with, what the options are out there. And they, they take that information and, and make a decision that, yes, this is the path they want to pursue. After they make that decision that they want to continue their education, that's when the choice comes. They, they make a choice on a college or what they want to 
do. It's like, you know, in simplest forms, you know, we make a decision, we want to go get a, an ice cream cone. And then once we get to the ice cream store, then we have to make a choice on what we want. So that's, that's what I see happening. Now, once this decision is made that they want to go to a college and the choice is made, which one, they have to decide how they're going to pay for it. The simplest and best thing is cash. You know, it, it's, it's like the old saying, cash is king. But it, it's hard with today's cost to have cash. You know, in the last 30 years, from the cost of tuition at a four-year public college has gone up 200%. And at a private, so-called nonprofit college, 130%. I, I don't know anybody that's had their wages increase those percentages in the last 30 years. So if you don't have cash, you know, your options start narrowing. Uh, luckily here in Indiana, we have a plan called a 529 college plan where parents, grandparents can put money in to accounts for their children or grandchildren that grow tax-free if they choose only for college. It gives the person that contributes a little tax advantage. So I, I'm taking advantage of that for our grandchildren to help someday pay for their college-related expenses. If you don't have cash or then you can fall down and look for grants. You know, the one that come to mind that a lot of people talk about are Pell Grants. That's one of the things that, if you're fortunate to get it, doesn't have to be paid back since it is a grant. And you step down and hopefully you can get a scholarship. They have full scholarships, partial scholarships, something that not only benefits the student, the person, but the college or university that they go to. Successful athletes and academic people are married to the college or university they went to. As you get down to the next level, it becomes more out of pocket. You know, there, there's a lot of people that are fortunate to have a job or work somewhere where there's a tuition assistance program in place to, to help with the immense costs of education. Even so-called fast food restaurants have programs to help with tuition assistance. And one of the last things that is available is the topic today, loans or basically known as student debts. And that seems to be pushed upon our, our youth. The, the, the students of today are grossly misled, misinformed into thinking that college is the only answer that's out there for them. And it's obtainable easily by filling out a piece of paper and submitting it and getting a loan. And I don't know if, if that's a, a culmination of bad counseling, either at home or at school. There has to be a realization that you just can't blanket and say colleges for everybody are the answer. And, and until we get some accountability and responsibility somehow in place for guidance to these teenagers, there is going to be a disproportionate number that head off to college and then graduate knee deep in debt. Grandma, what, what do you think? Well, as I previously shared with our listeners, um, I graduated from college. But what I didn't share was I graduated with student loan debt, which took approximately 10 years to pay off. And um, it wasn't easy because at times it felt like a huge burden, but also um, we had kids in middle school and high school. So student loan debt that I incurred was a little bit painful to pay back, but I knew going in that the expectation of the lender was for me to pay it back. 
I feel like it's no different with a student loan than it is with a mortgage or a car as far as the expectations from the lender. I think what isn't expanded on at the time of applying for the FAFSAs or the other student loans is that this loan stays with you. You can't sell it to anybody like you could sell your home to get rid of a mortgage. You can't sell it to anyone like you would a car to get rid of a car payment. It is your loan and it will follow you. The payment part doesn't become a reality until after you graduate. So my word to those out there with the thought that they need to have their loan forgiven for these reasons is it's time to grow up. There is a word, responsibility. And it's going to bite you in the ass at that time when you have to face it. I think that this piece isn't stressed enough to students. I've said that once before. I feel like parent responsibility should fall in there. The parent understands what a loan is, or they should. They're a parent. They understand that this is student loan debt, that it should be paid back. Um, there is a report that your dad um, referenced some of the statistics that I already had found that the 45 million borrowers owe $1.64 in student loans. And when I first heard that, I thought, oh, that must be a typo. It must be billions. But no, I found that cited in several different areas, and that was eye-opening to me. And I cannot imagine what it's going to be like when these people maybe default, because currently 11.1% of these people who have the current student loans are already in default by 90 days or more. The cost of college is increasing more than wages, and the college enrollment is decreasing, and I think that's also one of the contributing factors for that. It is becoming impossible for some to even consider college as betterment. College is not for everybody, and I think people get pushed into going to college by maybe peers, their parents, big influence there, and um, the schools. The more FAFSA loans that they can pump out, the more college students it looks like they're having, and so then their school ratings may go up. Um, I think all of this needs to be considered, but one thing I do want to tell people is don't go to college for a career that you think just looks fabulous on television. Back away, do some research, reach out to folks. Is this the career that I really want? Look into trade schools. Your dad had a fabulous career using his hands and his mind without incurring huge college expenses. And even though there is talk of student debt forgiveness, you'll end up paying for it somehow because per IRS rules, your student loan debt can be considered income. And with that, I will hand it to you. All right, guys. You got your seatbelts on because it's about to be a rocky ride. Bring it on. Let the roller coaster go. <laughs> All right.
Student loan forgiveness and education in the U.S. What do we do? Do we forgive student loans or not? I think I'm about to shock you guys. First of all, for my argument, I listened to the podcast Borrowed Future by the Ramsey Network. Uh, it's about nine episodes. It took me about 10 hours to get through. Definitely worth it. Highly recommend. I looked at reports from the Pew Research Center. I went to the websites, themoneymix.com, consumercredit.com, estudentloan.com, marketwatch, and brookings.edu. I also looked at places like Scholarship America, who has a great partnership with Higher Ed, Not Debt. And I looked at their action items to help tackle the student loan crisis, because this is a crisis. And then finally, I read a paper by the Aspen Institute entitled Making the Case Solving the Student Debt Crisis. From the beginning of this, I am shockingly anti-student loan forgiveness. And that's because I signed my loans. I take responsibility for them. I'm repaying them now. But I think we need to reform the student loan process and that there should be debt forgiveness in certain situations. So I'm coming to my argument as a university professor here in Munich. I do have a master's degree. I do have student loan debt. And I have also worked in the United States in a for-profit college systems as an admissions advisor. And that was easily the most eye-opening experience that I've ever been in and forms a lot of part of my argument. Uh, here in Germany, I am sending out PhD research queries because it's one of the only times where I can get a subsidized PhD, meaning I pay 150 euro per year, possibly even pull a salary like my husband, who is currently taking his PhD here in Munich at the Technical University of Munich in civil engineering. Every month I pay my student loans. If I paid my monthly minimum, it barely covers the interest rates. And so every month I have to triple my payments just to make a dent within those student loans and to keep that interest from growing. And I know a lot of people can't do that. And I'm very fortunate that I can. Um, so when we do enter the student loan talks, we, I feel like a lot of times what I see online is a divide by generation. And it's one generation calling the other lazy instead of a product of what they have done. And it often comes down to whose responsibility is it when it, I don't think we should be talking about whose responsibility it is to pay back the loans. I think we should be talking about why in the hell we have this problem with loans in the first place. How has consumerism and greed and business monopolies infiltrated our education system to the point that we are in this massive debt crisis? So the average cost of in-state school right now for a four-year public college is $10,230 per year, according to world university rankings. Out-of-state students now pay on average $26,290 per year, and nonprofit colleges average $25,830 per year. So I believe that the U.S. has found a way to have making an education a business instead of cutting attention where it needs to be. And that is like mom said, that not everybody has to have a college education. Viable trade jobs are there, apprentices are there, amazing jobs that people don't have to have a college education for, but we have grown our population to believe that they must have a college education in order to be worthwhile. And therefore we've created hundreds of thousands of people every year willing to go into debt 
because they think they have to do that in order to be employable. And even more, we're not so much selling the education, we're selling the college experience through our movies, through our magazines, through our TV shows, where college is a lifestyle and a rite of passage and something that people want. Kids are literally willing to go into debt in order to go party and play beer pong. It blows my mind. Um, like mom, like you said, our society does not explain loans. It does not explain credit. It does not explain the impact of financial decisions to a young person, but we push people to take on these debts in order to convince them that they need to get ahead. And we constantly talk about who should pay student loans, not the core issues in education system. So of the world's top 25 universities, 18 of those are American, which sounds amazing. It makes us think we have some of the best universities in the world, but that's only 18 of the top 25%. So that means that 1% of our universities are in the top universities in the world. The other 99% are either mediocre or subpar. So we have this idea in our head that we are the best education system in the world and we are not. So we don't have that best education system in the world. We just are in the best of the top 1%. And we base our entire idea of college and worth off of that 1%. We pay more for colleges that don't actually teach us, creating the debt crisis, impacting our livelihoods, and pushing the idea that we have to have that degree. Now, as you guys know, I, was, I worked for Brown Mackey College. And while I worked there, we were told openly through emails that I printed out and are actually in your guest bedroom in the nightstand in the bottom. And in these emails, you'll see lines that tell us to do things like openly target minority single mothers because they have such a vested interest in breaking poverty cycles and in their children that we can sell them a dream. If they have objections or concerns, we were trained specifically to pull up on their pain points of being single minority mothers in a racist society and convince them that their debt was okay because it would feed their children in the end. We also had enrollment advisors in this university who told people they would get a free iPad with their loans, not telling them they'd have to pay that loan back. We were selling unaccredited CNA programs at $40,000 a year, knowing that those students then could not take those credits and transfer as a CNA to an RN program. And even after their pinning ceremony, they could not legally be CNAs because our program was not accredited at the level that CNAs needed. This was my job. And once I figured this out, this is where I started getting to the point where people would come in to interview me and I would tell them, you're too good to be here. And I spent the last three months on this job printing out every email. And I'm happy to say that um, Brown Mackey and their parent company, EDMC, are now no longer in existence. Uh, one of the points that we would also tell people if they asked us how much their education would cost we were not allowed to tell them the cost per credit hour or the cost of their education. We would have to instead frame their question in terms of the payoff and tell them average salary figures for a job, knowing that that average salary of 35 to 50,000 would sound better than what they were currently making, which would likely be minimum wage. So I was taught how to exploit specific demographics in order to get them into loans to enroll them for a for-profit college. At one point, I was even written up because I refused to enroll and call back a man who came in and masturbated at my desk. The president of the college was a woman who said I should take it as a compliment for being attractive, and it's no excuse to not complete my work and goals, and that I should have no excuse to not enroll 11 students that month. So this is my experience in that for-profit college system within 
the US. The other thing that annoys me is I constantly see jobs requiring 10 to 15 years of experience, a master's degree, a client file, and they'll start you off at $15 an hour. So my degree is in web content design and creation, which is basically UX, UI, and content writing or social media marketing. And so if you go back 10 to 15 years, they're basically looking for Tom from MySpace on an intern salary with a master's degree. So my generation is struggling to get jobs, going into debt, getting the education that our parents, not you guys, but in a lot of cases, parents push their kids into in order to have this social standing. So of the current borrowers, that are out there, 8 million are in default right now, and they expect another 1 million to go into default this year with those figures coming before Corona hit. So 60% of students graduate with debt. Their student loan payments are then five to 15% of their post-graduation income. And then how many times do people get into a job and regret it or regret their degree and change their life? And we see that so much. 34% of adults aged 18 to 29 have student loan debt. And that $1.5 trillion of student loan debt is equivalent to the entire economy of South Korea. Even more, two thirds of student loan debt is held by women. And people who identify as African-American owe 95% of their student loan debt up to 20 years after enrollment compared to only 6% of those who identify as white. And so I do believe that that is largely due to the story I told you where in that for-profit system with certain colleges, we were encouraged to go after minorities, knowing that they probably wouldn't graduate, but we could get the money. The highest percentage of people who default on loans are those who own less than $5,000. They carry a rate of 24% of the current default rate. The next block of people between 5,000 to 10,000 of default are people um, 19%. So I think it's safe to say that those who are defaulting, who are carrying that, are people who didn't graduate college, who went a semester or two and just couldn't get into it. So yes, you can get to college debt-free. Yes, you can get scholarships. But scholarships and things like that often go to the few, the top, those who work hard and excel, and those people definitely deserve the fruits of their labor. Not everyone is going to get that scholarship, and scholarship money is not an infinite pool. And we do need median skilled people in our workforce, but then they feel like they have to get a degree for jobs that don't require a degree. College is not a participation trophy, but we treat it like one as a step towards being a member of a higher functioning society, while also not treating our um, employment opportunities the same way. So I'm just going to kind of wind myself down here in terms of our universities. In, 2000, in the year 2000, most universities where students owed money were not-for-profit or public. In the top 10 in 2000, there was only one for-profit college in the top 10, which was the University of Phoenix. The last numbers I could find was 2014, where eight of the top 10 were for-profit universities. NYU had fallen to eighth place, and the University of Phoenix was the number one debt holder. So coming from that area, I absolutely believe that our for-profit schools are the cause of this, and we have to end these predatory practices cap the cost of education and stop the for-profit colleges from creating this. It's this business and privatizing of our education. For-profit schools account for 70% of all 
defaults. So I think we need to approach this as not an us versus them, not as who was more responsible, whose responsibility is it to pay. And we have to turn the discussion into the predatory practices that build those ridiculous amounts of loan debt because the student loan debt impacts people's ability to save for retirement, which will impact how long they can work, their overall health, their stress levels. It leads to inability to purchase homes, lower credit scores. People can't start businesses because they don't have the capital or can't take that risk. And that's driving us farther away from the beautiful, you know, mom and pop American dream into these mass, you know, Walmart society, which we don't need. We have a decrease in overall consumption of goods. You know, everyone's saying millennials are killing everything. Well, I'm sorry, guys, we can't afford it to buy fabric softener. Um, and the, the overall economic growth, we see a depression in this student loan crisis largely goes into that. So what I think that we should do is cap student loans by school ranking. Private institutions that have low success rates, low test scores, and poor accreditation and low graduation rates should not have access to student loans. There should be higher tax incentives for businesses to provide student loan repayment options for their workers. We should have a sliding scale of tuition based on income for certain schools. Public colleges with state or federal subsidies should have tuition limits, and tuitions should solely focus on educational costs, not covering extracurricular activities. If I'm going to college to better myself, I don't believe that my money should fund somebody's $20 million bonus and a $2 billion football stadium for a game that I'm never going to go to. We should lower the cost of textbooks so students don't have to spend 600 or more a semester on books. And the government should drop interest off federal loans. Like if the government just dropped that interest off my loan right now, I would be really happy with that. And I think that would be a good step towards helping people out in general. I think education is beneficial to the growth of the general population and that education should not be primarily privatized to the point that it's unaccessible. Cut the one and a half or two years of gen eds that we pay for that and these stupid non-vital electives. I don't need to take yoga to prove you know, that I can be a lawyer. Charge for the top 1% of universities, but limit or eliminate the access to federal loans for the 84% of universities that like fall in the middle of global rankings that are subsidized. Cut that tuition. You know, guys, that's where I stand. I think that if I took the loan out, I should pay for it, but we can't let the problem continue to grow. Well, that, that was quite a revelation to hear you say all those things. Some of them surprised me and some didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am very happy to hear you say it. Um, I guess my time to grow the hell up responsibility <laughs> is, uh, has worked there. Well, I mean, I, when I went in to take my master's, I knew what I was doing. You know, I knew I was taking on that responsibility and I thought about it and I shopped around and do I wish maybe I would have taken a different master's? Maybe. I mean, I am using it right now in all fairness, but um, I just don't think that we should get rid of it because when I looked at that fact that when we break the student loan down per population, it's 45,454.54 cents per U.S. citizen. I don't think people would understand if that's wiped out. You still have to pay taxes, just like if you win a car. That's right. You said something, or there, there's two things that, that I want to you know, throw into this while we're talking about it. 
-hmm. you just threw out a figure that debt-wise every U.S. citizen would have to carry. Mm -hmm. But see, that, that's, that's an unfair realization because anybody that has permanent residence in the U.S. can apply and receive a student loan. You don't have to be a citizen. You know, all you have to do is show that you permanently live here. So if this debt is forgiven, they don't encumber any of that since they're not a citizen. And that, that's a double whammy to us that did not go to school to pay for the people that did, plus people that aren't even citizens. I'm going to argue that on real quick because permanent residents, like I'm, we are now permanent residents of, you know, the Schengen zone here in Germany. So if they're a permanent resident, they're probably working towards citizenship, but they're still paying taxes and paying into the system. I think it would still fall on them in some way, but I still don't believe it's fair to just assume $45,000 worth of debt on every person in the U.S. Well, if, and the reason I say that, I went to the Federal Student Aid website, which is an office of the U.S. Department of Education. Mm -hmm. It's got page after page about how to apply for student loans, mm -hmm. and it says many New York non-U.S. citizens qualify for federal student aid, and it goes down and mentions, you know, whether you're a citizen, a refugee, you know, whether you're from certain countries, and they do a better job of giving a roadmap to getting a student loan than they do to citizens, it seems like. And I think we have failed in the process of preparing our, our people, our citizens, in the correct way to, to proceed into college. I don't necessarily like the way you worded that like when you said our people and i think it's important if is a refugee and they are accepted into it being a refugee is a very hard process and if they are accepted and given a place to land legally within the u.s then they should have that right to get forward and they are now your people as well and i agree with that and maybe i i worded that wrong when i i say our people i'm not talking about a race a gender i'm talking back to a citizen and some sometimes i don't come across as really saying what i i, I should and i don't want it to be misconstrued that way mm -hmm. and when we talk about loan forgiveness there's already several several plans loan forgiveness plans loan discharge plans that's already out there and available students uh, dropouts graduates they can look through these programs and find a way to have their loans forgiven or have them discharged if they fall within or meet certain criteria i'm really glad you brought that up because I have a friend who has gone through the Peace Corps in order to do loan forgiveness and has worked for 10 years within the public sector, thinking that it would give her that forgiveness and she did her public servant duty and it was denied. And I guess that with those programs, it's not guaranteed they can then decide whether or not to do it, which is unfortunate, you know, that some people have to pay $30,000 for a social work degree and never make it. But recently, you obviously find those programs to be beneficial. And one of the hot debates right now is cutting the funding for those programs and eliminating them. And I don't think that's the right step right now. Well, I, I kind of wonder that too. However, I don't find them effective because when I was just out of nursing school and, and beginning my career, I looked at several of those options as a form of debt relief mm -hmm. and I fit into none. I would have had to uproot the family and, and work in some of these 
opportunities. So it was easier to just move forward, pay the debt when it was due, and keep the career that I had begun at a hospital. It, it wasn't fair to the family. Do you think they're unaffected though if they don't meet your criteria? I mean, it's not something that can be available to everyone. You have, you it's do right. have to meet certain criteria. So right. it was really fair to say that the programs aren't fair just because we didn't qualify for them because of our situation. Right, and there there is a possibility that these will fit for some people. For me, it didn't work. And you're right uh, for calling me out on that. I just um, would like to see some evidence of them actually working. Yeah, especially things like the GI Bill, you know, that's amazing. And I do think that people that are in these service jobs should have some type of benefit. And the one thing you left out of your story, Mom, you graduated from college barely before I graduated from high school. This is true. I, it was a race to see who was going to graduate <laughs> first, mm-hmm. me from college or Jonathan from high school. Yeah, I did win, but only by a few months. <laughs> I remember many nights doing your anatomy coloring homework for you because I love to color in your book. Yes, you were my go-to for coloring, and I think it helped you learn too. I even went to a few of your lectures with you because I thought it was so cool. Yeah. Well, well, well Jess, you brought up you know the, the GI Bill. You know, I, I went back and and was looking at the growth of student debt. Mm-hmm. And I found it amazing that if you go back through much of American history, if you go all the way back to, say, 1776, college was for an elite group of individuals. You know, that they say if you can't afford it, you didn't go. So doctors, lawyers, military leaders were this elite group that had the funding to go to college. And that, that started to change in 1944, two monumental things happened. June 6th, 1944 D-Day, when the beaches of Normandy were stormed. And that was actually the beginning of the end of World War II. 16 days later, on June 22nd, President Franklin Roosevelt signed into law the Serviceman's Readjustment Act of 1944, which is basically the GI Bill. That was the first time that the government set up a program that assisted veterans with tuition. <laughs> they, they were given $500 a year towards an education. First time in history that a working class family could afford to go to college. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm going to um, kind of piggyback on this. You know, I did not grow up in a family that was wealthy. Um, matter of fact, we were quite poor. I never knew it. We had riches in other ways. But when it came time, for college to be provided, only one of us could go. It was several years later that I found out the actual cost. It was $1,000. I about fell off my chair. You have gone if you couldn't have paid for cash? I think the student loan might have been structured a little differently back then. I, I don't think a lot of students borrowed money to go to college. I myself never knew about it. It was never presented to me because I was the one who wasn't college material. That, that's not fair to say because you know, we're, we're in the baby booner generation and our families, they were just blue collar hard workers and the thought of going to college didn't enter into it. The dean of girls always said, you're not college material. So that was ingrained in me. And mom, when it- don't you think though that that's because back then, like you could be a secretary and not have a college degree and you could do other jobs and there was manufacturing and industry jobs that are since gone. And then we've also 
convinced ourselves now, um, I hate to put this on the boomers, but the boomers are currently majority the CEOs and they're the ones who are convinced you have to have a college degree to be worthy. So your generation won't hire my generation without that degree. I think it was easier back then. Um, I took shorthand and typing and I mean, I was prepped, you know, when out of high school to go into a role and that didn't bother me. I worked in that role for a long time. For some reason, I got encouraged to go to nursing school. It was prefaced as a recession-proof job. You know, the money of a nurse back then was probably 50% more than the wages that I earned at the time. You two bring up points in the conversation I think are lost when we talk about student loan and student debt. Jess, you said something about baby boomers and now CEOs are telling you you have to have an education. I, th- I think if, if we look and maybe stand back outside the box, we have a tremendous amount of job loss, manufacturing losses, mm-hmm. uh, good paying jobs, good benefits, good wages to low wage countries. This sector, this middle class sector was built upon manufacturing and that has gone away and there's a void there. And to fill that void, everyone's being funneled you need an education. We've gone from a manufacturing society to a service society. Mm-hmm. And to be in a service industry, they're telling you you have to have an education. When, when I had my knees replaced, the young man that was my therapist was late one day. And he came in and I was kidding him. And he said, oh, I had a flat tire. And I said, well, how long did it take you to change it? He said, I don't know how to change a tire. I called AAA. So here's somebody that got me back on the road when I had my knees replaced and can't change a tire. This, this is where we're at as a country. We've lost a whole section of workers that are used to doing things mechanical or with their hands. Yeah, you had mentioned something earlier about um, did I think that the funnel had been moved from the manufacturing sector to the other roles that are within corporate America? And I agree. As your dad has said, there's a large void there that doesn't help us in any way, shape, or form because then the people who are displaced, they look at a college because that's everybody is shown the path to college. And then um, they are probably among these 45 million people, dollar-owing people, who went and signed those papers for a loan and maybe in the end didn't, you know, reap the reward. Mm -hmm. Or the loss of those jobs. They're going to maybe push their child to go to college and put that debt on their child. And one thing that I really like about the system here in Germany is it's very kind of different. And from about like 12 to 13, they start looking at whether a child is more adapt to studies or more adapt to hands and vocational things. And they actually separate them into different high schools. One is more hands-on and vocational and one is very um, book smart and I, you know, like doctors, engineers, things like that. And you can go to like STEM oriented college and you would go farther on the educational path than you would on the vocational path. But then on the vocational path, you split out and you go into trades. And I just recently found out, um, you guys know last summer I was a bicycle tour guide here in Munich in between studying because I just wanted to get to know the city better. And just to be a bike mechanic here, you have to do a two-year apprenticeship and pass a, a test 
and prove, you know, that you can do it. And so the value on vocations here that, I mean, that goes the same with electricians and plumbers and our housemeisters, the people that take care of the building that we live in, they're all certified and that they're also very respected and you see them and you don't look down at them. And I feel like in the U.S. we are kind of in this area too, where we look down on the people that fix our car. They're an expert in their field. They're very good at what they do and we need them. But for some reason we look down at them and we view them as less. And I think that's also damaging and pushing people into believing they have to pay all this money for a college education to fit into the status quo. I'm sorry to interrupt, but no, I was done. <laughs> but, but part of that, you know, is generational. Every group of parents wants to see their children have a better life and do better than what they've done. That's, that's just hoping that your children have a better life and easier life than what you have. But it's, it's also politicians. When we have politicians here in the U.S. that get their fingers in the pie, want to be a part of everything, mm -hmm. make it what they want instead of what's best for the people. And then they dangle carried out in front of them says, we're going to get this for you. We're going to get that for you. You can see the difference between where we're at in the U.S. as to where you're at over there. They have come up with a, a way, a system to evaluate students. You know, I don't know what age or what group they start in, but they evaluate them to see where they fit to better themselves mm -hmm. to not only benefit them, but also the country. You know, a country that has people that are good doctors, lawyers, or mechanics or factory workers, they intertwine and, and make both the individual and the country better. Mm -hmm. we, we need to step back and hold our politicians here accountable for a lot of the mistakes and a lot of the blunders that they cover up. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they're afraid to speak out against all of these public school, these for-profit schools then that are draining the debt that people aren't graduating from? What are we missing? Why is this... I celebrated the day that they shut down EDMC. So the company that I worked for, they got caught for fault, faulty admissions practices, falsifying student loan paperworks and things like that. And I know they are not the only one out there with eight out of 10 of our top debt carriers being for-profit universities. Whose hand is in that pot and why these for-profit places allowed to get federally funded loans with low accreditation and low graduation rate. If you go and look at Congress, the percentage, I think the last freshman class that came in, I don't know if it was class 116, I believe, that I saw the data for, mm -hmm. they're the most college-educated freshman class ever. They're also the lowest class of political experience. You, you have people going into positions of authority and power that are connected to colleges. Mm -hmm. And you have people that are very successful that came out of these colleges that rub elbows, go to fundraising events. In the U.S., politicians spend a few percentage of their time in Washington almost every week, and they fundraise. They're not interested in doing what's right for the public or the people. They're interested in raising money so they can get reelected. And who do they raise money for? Power brokers, people with money, power, and influence. Yeah, I think um, if we really knew whose hand was in that for-profit college pot, we'd probably step back and go, whoa. Well, isn't Betsy DeVos, isn't she involved with these? And she wants to privatize elementary education, which blows my mind. The last thing we need is more education debt. I Like when I lived in India, we did not have set school systems. You paid 
to get your kids into a school and they taught accordingly. And a lot of my expat friends would put their kids into the BMW or the Mercedes schools. And those were $20,000, $30,000 a year. So knowing that we're in this student loan debt and that our head of education wants to privatize education all the way down to the elementary school, my mind is blown. Where, where do you start and, and how, how do you correct a train that's run off the track like mm-hmm. everything here has because of politicians. That you, you, I, everybody that's listening to this has opinions on what to do. We should be up in arms, really. Mm-hmm. And last week you said we got to take it to the ballot. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the place to start. You know, and I don't want to get off this, the topic of student loans, you know, mm-hmm. and we, we kind of strayed away. Not really. It all impacts it. You know, but... Some, but, you know, when we talk about student loans, we, we talked about what happened in 1944. You know, it was 10, 12 years later, you know, not until the late 1950s that federal student loans first appeared. And, and if we look at those, even then they were limited and they were intended to encourage people to study subjects that would not help them as much as it would help the U.S. compete with the Soviet Union in the space race. Mm. So even back in the late 1950s, the government said, Let's entice people to go to college to help us beat the Soviet Union in the space race. So- you know what else is interesting about that time period, Dad, is that is when the tourism industry first got their first boom where people started traveling internationally as well. And then that forced the concept of paid time off and leisure time. Well, that into manufacturing, you know, it, that was a, a, a boom in the housing industry. You know, the GI came back. Mm-hmm. The auto industry was ramping up. You know, people come back. They had money to spend. You know, it, it was the start of the Industrial Revolution the, no. that started in the late 50s. The student loan system that we think we know, that's, that's around today, that came out of the Higher Education Act of 1965. And that was made to, s- to strengthen educational resources for the college. It, it gave an influx of money to them, but it also gave financial assistance, again, to students so that they could get that higher education. But that was limited to what they did. They gave grants, they gave low interest loans. What people forget that when this started, the loans, even though they were low interest, they only made those to people that had the ability to pay them back. But I I think we have morphed into more than what the system was meant to, to do to assist people. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Let's, like if we go to EDMC, Brown Mackey Art Institutes, Art Institutes have since been bought. But when they were closed, when the federal government closed them down, students were then stuck with credits that they couldn't transfer, and they also couldn't graduate because their school was now shut down. Do you think that they should be held responsible for those loans, given that this was sort of a force majeure? You know, any time something happens, there there are going to be people that are hurt. They are the victim two or three times over because they were misguided, miscounseled, misled, and then the bottom fell out. And and it's hurt and probably ruined the chances several of those people had. Yeah, definitely. And and how do we address, what's the safety net to protect those kind of people? Is there, should there be a, a reserve fund out there should they be forgiven in this situation somebody through basically no fault of their own is ruined so 
I honestly think that um, you had mentioned University of Phoenix earlier, mm -hmm. and um, it's another one of the for-profit schools. And even though it has a little bit better ratio of dropouts compared to some of the other for-profit schools, they still get their money from um, people who they know are going to have a higher percentage of issues paying it back. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's wrong. I think it's wrong for them to target people in this manner. People who come from a life where getting money is hard and you present them with something that seems like a way out, mm -hmm. the chance of them taking it is very great. Do you think we should put a cap on the cost of for-profit education or education in general to help stem this just financial bleeding? Because this has the potential to cripple the economy when you look at the figures. It's staggering. So what can we, we're all in agreement that um, student loans shouldn't be forgiven. It's too big of a risk for everyone involved to do that. But what can we do to keep it from growing? Well, I think one of the problems with the college campuses today is they're growing to to create a um, a world of comforts for the students instead of focusing so much on the education of the student. And um, maybe some of that needs to be looked at. What do campuses spend on these and the, the cost for new buildings? Do they need all the new buildings? Um, that's a lot of the expenses there because not only is it the cost to build them, but it's the cost to maintain them. And when you think about the population of enrollees is decreasing, how is a college that has extended themselves so far going to recoup that expense but by increasing the um, credit hour? Well, that goes back to the vicious cycle that as long as somebody's writing a check, whether it's the student, the parents, the grandparents, are a lender and gives it to the college, the college is going to say, hey, we're going to keep checking on it. It's like a, a giant Ponzi scheme. It, it, mm -hmm. In respect, if you think about it, the college perpetually are doing this. They're getting more people in. They're charging them more to pay off. What, what they're doing. And I think we need to go back to the education and kind of remove some of these comforts. Sometimes you learn better in an environment that's not so comfortable because you want to get out of there. Let's learn it now and get out. <laughs> you know, Jess, you, you said something about IU and, you know, I, I, I was and still am to appoint a big IU basketball fan and that's based mainly on Bobby Knight. Throw that chair, Dad. Well, you know, <laughs> and it that. goes back to, you know, Bobby Knight came out of coaching at West Point, and, and he just, he would tell his players, you're fortunate that you've got a, a scholarship to come play basketball, but you come to IU to get an education. Mm -hmm. You get an education or you don't play basketball. You know, he set them up with tutors and people that would follow them and make sure they did homework and did what was right. They didn't take basket weaving and some of these other courses. They, they knew, and Bobby Knight told them, 
that you were good enough to get a scholarship to play at one of the elite programs in the basically the world. There's only a certain percentage of you that's going to take the next step and play pro ball. So you better be ready for life. Mm-hmm. And that's something I, I think a lot of athletes and to affect college kids, they're just coddled and soft handed to where they don't realize there, there's a hard life out there. And until you experience or see it, a lot of these kids, the first time they go to college is the first time they left home or somebody's other than a mother's done their laundry and it's frankly they're not prepared for it yeah i agree when i raised you too you knew how to do laundry you knew how to iron you knew how to sew and cook i prepared you in ways for life yeah and i can change a tire i can change an oil i can change my brake pads that's right absolutely your dad took you out there and he had you do what what would be needed Mm-hmm. And these were always for preparation for life that you do not see. I, um, I don't know how many young girls can't cook. <laughs> they can't even sew. And let alone look at an iron, it scares them to death. So um, I think we really need to be putting some of this under the microscope, pulling away some of these comforts. And um, my mom always told me, pull your bootstraps up and get over it. And (laughs) obviously, we don't want to forgive student loan debt. But what would you say? So one of my suggestions was, let's cut the, it is a loan, but let's cut the interest. That will help people pay this off sooner. And the government will at least get back what they gave. Would that be something you would entertain or do you also feel like that's not appropriate? I feel like we have to take some steps right now to cut it down and encourage people to pay stuff back. What do you think? I think that's a good idea. I'm not even sure what the student loan, um, the interest rate is now. I think they could um, cut it in half or even remove it, maybe even put it down to 1%. It's still initiative for them to pay it back and it also reduces the amount of interest that they pay. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great suggestion. Well, the, the, the other thing, there are programs out there that you can pay back your student loan based on a percentage of what your income is. You still get charged interest. So if you go on income-driven repayment, you might have a $10 payment, but you're still accruing the interest on the full loan. Correct. And, and if, if you get into an income-based then maybe interest needs to be income-based also. Mm. You know, if, if you've got $40,000 in student loans that you've occurred doing something to hopefully better yourself and your family, and you're in an entry-level job where you're making $20,000 a year, then let, let's, let's adjust that. Let's help the person that's wanting to help themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't have any problem with that. What, what I have a problem with, part of that is the people that have gone to school that maybe come from a a better to do family that have become doctors or lawyers or in in the health profession that have got the education. They're out there working. They're making a hundred grand a year and they're not paying back their student loan Mm -hmm. or they're they're behind. If we have people that to me are white collar or professionals that have played the system got a degree and now they're saying hey 
we're not going to pay back student loan or we'll pay it back when we want to go take their license. Yeah. Maybe that would start opening people's eyes up that, Hey, this is a commitment that you have to, to repay. Yeah. Guys, I think we've had a good conversation so far and I think we could definitely talk about it more and it's something we can open in the comments. Of course, if you, anyone listening has feedback, you know, we love to hear it. You can get us on social media at I'm right podcast, send us an email at info at I'm right podcast.com. Uh, let's close it down. What are your final thoughts? What are your kind of final statements? Anything that you didn't get to say that you want to, any startling statistics you were holding on, waiting to throw out in the heat of the moment? Well, I've, I've got two. Um, Perfect. It, it counts up. We talked a lot about politicians and what they do and they don't do. Mm-hmm. And I've heard several times that politicians do not have to repay back their student loans. So I, I looked into that. Um, I looked if uh, members of Congress are exempt, if their families, their children, even their staffers, if they have to pay back student loans. The members of Congress do, their families do, their children do. But when we get to the staffers, they participate in a student loan repayment program that helps pay back a portion of those student loans. If you're a staffer for the House of Representatives, you can have $60,000 of your student loans taken care of. If you're a staffer in the Senate, up to $40,000. Now there, there's some requirements, you have to be on the job so long and so forth. But the politicians are taking care of the people that do their grunt work for them. If they can have programs like that for their staffers in, in the House and the Senate, then why aren't they doing that for the people that put them in office? And then to take that a step farther, this program also extends into the executive branch. So you have the House, the Senate, and the staffers in the White House that have a program that helps them pay off their student loans. If they can make a program to pay off forty to $60,000 of student debt for their people, they ought to be doing it for the men and women out there that are struggling to pay back their student loans. I know I should have took my loud ass mouth to Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just have some final words of wisdom. Well, dad said he had two things. He only gave us one. Oh, well, take it away, dad. That that was good enough. Well, I would just tell everyone that it's okay to admire the moon. You don't necessarily have to reach it. And to remember, debt is like any other trap. It's easy enough to get into but hard enough to get out of. And we live in this wonderful time. We have the internet. We can do so much research that we couldn't do like when you and I were looking at where I was going to go to college first. There's a lot of times I wish I would have gone to IU to get my gen eds out of the way instead of paying those to the Illinois Institute of Art at seven times the rate. And I know you guys tried to get me to do it, but I was hard headed and I was like, I want to move to Chicago now. Um, Yeah, I vividly remember. Oh yeah, so do I. So does my wallet. At one point when I was in school, I was working two jobs. And I know a lot of people can't do that. 
Um, but I was willing to do that to make payments to keep my, my loans down for my undergrad. And even when I was finishing my undergrad, so I, I finished my bachelor's degree while living in a rural village in Uganda, and I would have to take a 15 passenger van that was often shoved with 20 people, two goats and chickens and everybody's luggage three and a half hours into the city just to get internet, you know? And so there are, sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get that degree and move yourself forward. But is signing that piece of paper and taking that debt the best thing? Because no one's going to pay it back. I really don't care what these politicians say as far as coming on with student loan forgiveness. At the end of the day, no one's going to be able to do it. We're past the point of no return. So before you add into it in your own life, hoping that it happens, be smart, do something with it. Coming from the for-profit world where we were specifically told and trained to exploit minorities and single mothers, and also seeing that they carry the most debt and the lowest graduation rate and the highest um, default rate, I just became so pissed that this discussion falls into for-profit unethical people preying on the marginalized fringes of society who want to get better. And that I don't, I think what we should do is go to those for-profit colleges and make them pay back their failures. What you're saying, it sounds like you could be a union official because you're, you're wanting to protect people and hold others accountable that prey on the weaknesses of people. And I, agree with that. Um, they've definitely contributed to this problem, and I think it should be looked at, I, especially the larger for-profit institutions who basically go out and reap large fields of people just to coffer their pockets. Well, they're out there harvesting. They are. They're mm. harvesting people for the purpose of money, and it is wrong. Yes. Because mm. in this case, no one wins. But, but if you think about the, these universities, and, and we talked about this early, touched on it, the power brokers, they have gone and lobbied people in Washington. We need these programs. And it's under the guise of we're going to help certain sectors of the population get ahead. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it seems like in all aspects, the government's willing to throw money at it and throw money at it before they have a plan. We can fix anything if we throw enough money at it. I, I know from my experience in the factory, a lot of times a corporation says, we've got this problem. Let's throw money at it till we can fix it. Well, you don't really fix it. You just throw enough money at it that it looks good, but it's not fixed. Yeah. Well, speaking of throwing money at things, I would like to propose a topic for next week. It comes to us from one of my friends, uh, Zeta Faye Haber. She brought up that we should debate and discuss universal health care. All right. How's that sound for next week? Oh, boy. I've got, I've got a little <laughs> now. All right. Well, I think that'll be on the docket for next week. Should the U.S. invest in universal health care or not? Um, hey guys, thanks so much for your time today and all of the great information you brought forward. It was really interesting to hear where you were coming from and your experiences and some of the little nuggets that you pulled up. 
I'm glad that we could surprise each other and maybe someone will listen to this and we'll be able to start making a change and holding people accountable and looking at some of the faults in our education system instead of just focusing on the student loan debt, focusing on why it's there in the first place. So this was episode two of You Know I'm Right, the podcast. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And those were my parents. We hope you enjoy. Don't forget to like, subscribe. If you are on a platform where you can leave feedback, please do. It helps us hit the algorithm. Share it with your friends. Email us. Give us topics for the future. And as always, reach out. If something we said today uh, struck you, you enjoyed it, or you want to add anything to it, go ahead and send us an email. Info at I'm Right Podcast. And in the future, we might open up an episode where we do read your feedback and bring you into that show as well.